Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Open your Bible with me to the book of John as we continue our series on the exalted Christ. This has been already just such a wonderful study. And um, we might spend like six years on the book of John, I think, at this rate. But this is awesome. And I want to encourage you to really be reading along in um, this book with us. Uh, the title of the series is The Exalted Christ, and I want to I highlight today that a lot of people have heard about Christ. A lot of people know his name and know him as a historical figure, but if you really want to experience the full life that he offers, we have to know the exalted Christ. That's what the book of John is all about, it's all about us knowing the exalted Christ. And there are some wonderful things for us to learn and in some cases even being, uh, be reminded of today. And so I want to jump right into it. We finished at verse uh, uh, 13 last week. We're going to go right to verse 14 and our focus will just be four verses. Four verses today. John 1, uh, beginning with verse uh, 14. Now, uh, we, we talked about the eternal word last week, and now there is a transition taking place, a very powerful one. And here it begins in verse 14. It says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's not alluding to the day Jesus was born. He's alluding to Jesus' eternal nature, his divine nature. The exalted Christ is, was eternal and forever. Uh, uh, let's, let's keep going here. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, that Son has made him known. Blessed be the reading of his word. The title of the message today is God Became Flesh. God Became Flesh. Now we're going to look at how the exalted Christ chose to become flesh. He chose to become one of us. 
And he became one of us for a variety of reasons. And, and ultimately, it was because he loved us and because he wanted to save us and because he wanted to be in close relationship with us. And it is on the basis of that close relationship that we experience the fullness, the abundant life. Now, what we're going to look at here is that in these three verses, he reveals three mysteries that we all need to know and experience. Everyone say, know and experience. Very important. Remember, I started out a few moments ago saying a lot of people know about Jesus. But if you really want to experience the fullness of life that comes from Jesus, you have to know and experience him. You see, it's got to be a living uh, relationship that is really powerful. So we're going to jump right into this and we're going to talk about the three things that he revealed uh, 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 and in a sense they are mysteries, three mysteries that he revealed to us. Well, first, he revealed himself in a mysterious way when he dwelt among us. Jesus dwelled among us. The Bible says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is a very powerful truth because that word dwelling literally means, that word literally means he tabernacled among us. And the, the, this is an allusion to the Old Testament. And, and uh, anyone who was Jewish at that time would understand the power and the significance of, this, of these verses here, of this sentence. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I want to I go back to Exodus chapter 25 uh, where it says, this is when God brought them out of Egypt and they came into the, into the desert. And then he said, then have them make me a sanctuary, make a sanctuary for me. The sanctuary was for him. Okay. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will everyone dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. The word sanctuary and tabernacle mean the same exact thing. And, and I wanted to put this up because it was important for us to know. And, and let me put a quick picture up for you. Okay. This was the tabernacle. This is a model of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And God said, make me a tabernacle so that I will dwell among my people. Okay? And, and uh, this is going to be important for us to understand as we, as we walk through this message today. In the Old Testament, they made this tabernacle. The presence of God was inside of that tent, inside that big square. Okay, right inside there in the end, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And the presence of God actually dwelt right there in that place. And then the whole entire 
nation of Israel, more than two million people were, according to tribes, they were around the tabernacle. Now sometimes God would tell them move, pick up and move. They would pack up the tabernacle and move. And then when he would say stop, they would stop. They would set up the tabernacle and everything revolved around the tabernacle. And so in the Old Testament, God was, was establishing something about his desire. He was establishing something about what he wanted for his people. He wanted to be with his people and he wanted his people to be with him. You see, this is a very, very important thing for us to understand. And in the, in the Old Testament, I want to say this. In the Old Testament, he said, make me a sanctuary. And then he says, make the tabernacle. And in the Old Testament, the sanctuary signified the dwelling place of God. And the, ta and the tabernacle was the physical structure. And in Christ, when the... The word became flesh and dwelt among us. There we had both. In Christ we had the dwelling place of God and we had the physical manifestation of God. He came to dwell among us. He wanted to be one of us. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to identify with us. What an amazing God we serve that he actually wanted to be with us. Amazing. This is, this is such a... A powerful thing that God actually wanted to be with his people. Now, can I tell you this? This is, this is Christianity 101. Christianity 101 is this. Is that it is the desire of God to dwell with his people. Okay, I love the name of this church. You know why? This church is a reflection of our desire. We want God to dwell with us. His desire should be our desire. Okay, you may be here and say, uh, 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 I don't know the will of God, I don't know this, I, I don't know about that, I have confusion in my life, I have all of these questions about my life, and I have all of these needs in my life, I have this and I have that and I have this and I have that. I'll start with his desire. You know what his desire is? His desire is that we would tabernacle with him. Whatever you dwell on, that's what, who you're dwelling with. And I was actually listening to a sermon by Ravi Zacharias this week. And, um, and actually this, this was on Friday. So I got up early in the morning. At like, I, you know, I get up at 4. I got up at 4. I read. And um, honestly, it was one of those mornings where I just, um, I was reading and praying and trying to talk to the Lord. But uh, I, I wasn't like locking in. You know, and, uh, and that happens sometimes, doesn't it? And um, at about 6 o'clock, I, I, was, I was like, you know what? I looked, when is sunrise? Sunrise is 6.30. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go play golf this morning. So we have a nine-hole course right by my house. So I was right there as, as the sun was rising. I got there, and I, and I was by myself. 
So um, I actually had the, 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 the message. I was listening to one of Zach, Ravi Zacharias's messages. And uh, here's what he said at one point. He said, you know, we travel all over the country. And we're speaking to young people. And, um, and at the end of these meetings, he said, uh, we have hundreds of young people online. Okay, and the two things that they want counseling for the most, the two things are, number one, how to deal with addictions to pornography. Number two, suicide. Okay. So I'm listening to this, and I have been thinking about this message, and I'm outside, and then it just came like a lightning bolt to me. Well, let me finish saying, so Ravi, Ravi Zacharias says, he says, but it doesn't it make sense? Because when someone watches a, when someone is sitting there watching pornography, they are watching the devaluing of other human beings. And if you spend all of your time watching the devaluing of other human beings, the natural progression is that you also devalue yourself. You see, that's why suicide is on the rise in our country. It's because in our culture, there's so much devaluing that's going on. You see, life doesn't mean any, all that much anymore. You know, the man and the woman on that screen, those are somebody's children. You see? So, so because they're devalued, the natural progression is that we devalue ourselves. But I want you to think about it. Uh, Shelly, pass me that um, computer. So I was, I was outside and I was thinking about this, okay? Think about all over the world, okay? And by the way, I'm not camping on pornography. I'm just, this is one of many things. So... When someone sits and is watching pornography, you know what they're doing? They're tabernacling. They're dwelling. Okay? They are taking in. And in a sense, something is, is being issued forth. There's a tabernacling. When when we take in all kinds of stuff in this world, whatever you dwell, who, whomever you dwell with, and whatever you dwell in, that's what you're tabernacling with. Jesus came to tabernacle with us. You see? Jesus came to tabernacle with us and it doesn't matter where you are. And I, I was on the golf course and right there I was like, Jesus. Jesus, I love you, God. I want you, God. You know, you can tabernacle with him anywhere. Hallelujah. From the, in the worst place, in the hardest place, in the most difficult place. Hallelujah. He came to dwell among his people. His desire is to dwell with us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Forget about the answers. Don't you recognize all the answers are with him? It all begins by tabernacle. It all begins by us taking the time to just dwell with him. Because guess what? He wants to dwell with us. When you woke up this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done. It could have been grimy and slimy, or it can be, it could have been holy, you know, or and glorious. It doesn't matter. His every morning his mercies are new. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. What does he want to do? He wants to dwell with us. You see? And this is a mystery. This is a, to me, you set aside all religions, all philosophies, all, all therapies. None of them have this. Except Christianity serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, and I, when I talk to people, I say, hey, our God wanted to dwell with us. And how many would agree today that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Hallelujah. Could we put our hands together? There are all sorts of tabernacles, guys, all sorts of them. And maybe this week I want you to pay a little attention to to, to uh, if I could say it this way, who you're, who and what are you tabernacling with? What are you dwelling with? A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes, they're all over the place. Come on, brothers, let's pray in the name of Jesus. Give us, give us eyes of wisdom. Give us wise eyes, Lord God. Hallelujah. Help us. Help us, Lord. And you know what? We're living in a day. We're living in a day that, it's, that even women now are bombarding pornography, and uh, this message is not about that, but it is a classic example of it. This is a classic example. The Lord wants to dwell with us. Build me a tabernacle so I can dwell among my people. You see? And now, the tabernacle, could you put the picture of the tabernacle up, the same one, one more time? Okay. This was a picture of Christ. We can't go into it, but all of the things in the tabernacle, there are all of these different uh, uh, um, uh, utensils and tools, and then there were tables, and all, every single uh, uh, part of the tabernacle was re representative of him. The Old Testament is, is a, a whole host of arrows Pointing to the coming Savior. And, and ladies and gentlemen, the Savior has come. And he came to dwell with his people. Could we praise him one more time? Hallelujah. 
That's what's so amazing about the fact that the word became flesh. Because he came to dwell with his people. And I want to pray today that God would put a whole new fire and passion inside of us. That we would tabernacle with him. Because guess what? He wants to tabernacle with us. So that's the first thing. The second thing he did is that he revealed his glory to us. He revealed his glory to us. Look at what the Bible says. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So another thing that Jesus did was that he came to reveal his glory, but this glory was a special type of glory. This is why it's kind of a mystery, because it wasn't a worldly, fleshly glory. It was an inward, divine glory. This was a glory that had to be experienced within, and the Bible specifically says that the glory of Christ was not like the glory of the world. Look in the book of Isaiah. This is very important for us to understand. I am hoping to also elevate uh, in a holistic way our understanding of biblical things. And look, in Isaiah 53, 2, it says this. It says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You understand? And so Jesus was not one of these people who was outwardly, you know, exceptionally attractive by his physical appearance. It wasn't like that. He didn't come that way. And in a sense, if you look at the tabernacle outwardly, when you look at the tabernacle in the, in the Old Testament, anyone who was just driving by saw that tent like a lot of other tents. You see? But little did they know, the Moabites, the Hittites, little did they know, the Canaanites, little did they know that within that tabernacle was the fullness of glory, was dwelling right in that place. Hallelujah. There was a glory to be experienced. But it was a hidden glory. Everyone say hidden glory. You see, it was the glory of within. Now, that's really important to us because Jesus didn't come to be become famous the way the world becomes famous. See, Jesus wants to reveal his glory to us, but he will not reveal his glory to the worldly or secular mindset. He won't do it that way. I was, I was just checking and I found out that, and, 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 and listen, our culture right now, more than ever before, because of the enhancements that technology brings, it's all about outward glory. It's about what the carnal mind and what the flesh see. Okay? So listen to this. I found, and we looked this up today. Selena Gomez has 127 million followers on Instagram. And coming up in second place, Ariana Grande have 113 million followers on Instagram. 
if, they, if I walked by those two sisters, I wouldn't know who they are. You see? Okay. The Rock is in the top ten, this big muscle guy who played football for, I know him from University of Florida or Miami. You see? Guess who else is up there? The Kardashians. Wow. Paragons of virtue. <laughs> you see? This is what the world is looking to. This is what the world is focused on. Now listen, you know, they don't know the Lord, but we know him. You see, we don't expect the world to know him, but how many know? We know him. He came to dwell with us so that we then could experience the fullness of his glory. But what we have to understand is that that glory was within. Look at this picture here. This is another picture. This was in color, so it looks a little nicer. But I want you to think about, in the Old Testament, a regular tent. This one is more colorful, but a regular tent. And what the Bible says is that the presence, the glory of God would come down right there in the back of that inner tent, okay, so there was an outer court, and then there was a holy place, and then in that tent, in the front part of that tent was a holy place. In the back of that tent, that was called the Holy of Holies. That's where the presence of God would dwell at the ark. And so at night, the, there would be a pillar of fire. During the day, there would be a cloud. And everyone knew that it was in there that the glory of God dwelt. So from the very beginning, God said, I want to be with you and I want to show my glory. And you can experience my glory, but always know if you want my glory, my glory is found within. Okay? My glory is found within. Everyone say, the glory is found within. You see? That's why the Bible says come boldly to the throne of grace. Because what are you going to find at the throne of grace? You're going to find his glory. You're going to find his presence. You're going to find things that go beyond what your physical eyes can see. What our physical eyes can understand. There's something deeper and greater. And it's so great and it's so amazing that he, he, he doesn't even show it to us. We can't even see it with our own eyes. There, there are really like two instances in the New Testament when Jesus reveals some of his heavenly glory. Right now, it's a mystery that happens as you enter in and meet him, the exalted Christ. But there was one occasion on the Mount of Transfiguration when they, the disciples, three disciples were with him. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that he became white, white like lightning white. And, the, and, and then Moses appeared and Elijah appeared and they, they were so overwhelmed. They just bowed. They got on their faces because they were so overwhelmed. And, and uh, then there was a voice that came from heaven. And it was like just a momentary tiny drop of glory. In the Old Testament, 
there's a, a revelation of who he is with his eyes like fire and, and his, his, he's in his glorified state. But brothers and sisters, the truth of the matter is, is that if God were to really pull back his glory in, in our fleshly bodies, it would just crush us. So what God does is he allows us little by little, moment by moment, to enter into the tabernacle and to dwell with him. And then we get to experience his glory. You see, do you know this is the absolute number one challenge of the pastor in this day? The challenge of the pastor is to get a people, is to persuade them to see with eyes that are not physical. To live for a world that is not tangible. You see, we have another place. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I wouldn't tell you. But listen, wherever you're living, whatever's going on, just know there is a place that is a glorious place. And we will be there. Hallelujah. And it is better than this place. And he's saying, for now, every day come into my presence. Every day, for now, run in, run in, get in there. Wake up early. Pop out of bed. Run into the presence and get a drop of glory. One drop of glory will be enough. Every day, and then one day, hallelujah, one day he's going to give us a body that can handle him. Hallelujah, glorified body. And we'll spend the rest of eternity celebrating the never-ending, unfolding glory of God. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Can I just say this? This is why John 2.15 says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God, everyone, lives forever in glory. Hallelujah. Can we praise God that we're going to be with him forever? We're talking about the exalted Christ today. We're talking about knowing the exalted Christ, about that we can know him, we can get in his presence, and he can change us. Wasn't that a powerful testimony by angel? That, that brother has been changed by the glory of God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Talk to him. He loves Jesus. You see, he changes us as we draw close to him. Whatever you dwell with, that's what you become like. And then here's the last thing. In, in a lot of ways, this is a, 
Let me tell you, this is a sermon in itself. Here's the last thing. He, he not only dwelt among us, but he also revealed this inward glory to us. But then lastly, it says he shared his fullness with us. Wow. It says out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, let's unpack this very quickly. We don't have a, a lot of time. So let's look at, look at, leave this up please, okay. This word fullness in the Greek is pleroma, okay. This is a, is a, a, a word that we process as human beings, but it has divine connotations. Okay, so what that means is this, is that when we think about, about something being full, we also know that if it's full, it can also become empty. So you get a full tank of gas, you drive away from the gas station, you know sooner or later you're going back to the gas station. You see? You have a, a, a full pot of rice and beans. You get four brothers from the men's ministry show up to the house. You have an empty pot of rice and beans. Right? I mean, that's the way it is. Things full, empty. But when you think about God, that's why it says fullness. No matter how much give God gives out, he's always full. He can give and give and give and give. And there's never any moment where there's less. There's no less in God. You see, there's fullness. And so it says out of his fullness, and it's important, okay, when you think about who your God is, just know God is full. And no matter how much he gives out, no matter how many drops of rain, no matter how many ears of corn he causes to grow, no, how many, it, no matter how many, how many whatever it is that he provides, apples, oranges, or cucumbers, I'm going to have to go eat now. <laughs> no matter what he provides, okay. He's always operating in his fullness. Fullness. So, out of his fullness, we have all received, everyone say this with me, grace in place of grace already given. Unbelievable. You know what is coming out of the fullness of God? Grace. Grace, grace, grace. All right, now what is grace? Let me, let me, could you put the definition, then we're going to come back here. What is grace? It's so many things that I just put a string of things on it and there's a lot more. But grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's gifting. It's his power. If it's, it's his strength. Grace is God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. God is full. What do you need from God out of the fullness of his grace? You need gifting. You need strength. You need power. You need protection. You need favor. Whatever it is, out of his fullness, he has grace. And after that grace is worn out, he has grace to repent. 
replace the grace that he just poured out upon your life. Hallelujah. Grace in place of grace. How does he work? Grace in place of grace. Amazing. Go back to the go back to that verse. This is amazing. Look, out of its fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. How did you come to Christ? It was grace. I read in a book. I read in a book A.W. Tozer. He called it probably theological term, provenient grace. What that means is, uh, somebody give me a check for $4 for that word, okay? So what he calls it, what he means is that anytime anything good happens to you or through you from God or, or that you, in your life, anytime you respond to God in a way, anytime you, you reach out to him, what happened was, is that grace snuck up on you and did something inside of you so that when he called you, you said, yes, Lord, here I am. Even our responses to God are a work of his grace. You see, it's grace. Everything is by grace. It's God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Now here's the, the last, so important, so powerful, okay? Because here's what I'm hoping for this next two, two minutes. What I'm hoping is that you could take a little bit of an x-ray of your own heart and your own perspective when it comes to God, the exalted Christ, and your tabernacling with him. All right, so watch. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now when the Bible talks about the law, what the Bible is saying here is that at a certain time when they went in the desert, God sent, gave the Ten Commandments. Now, also in the Old Testament, he said the law is written on their hearts. So, someone right now in another part of the world, in a very primitive area, no electricity, no running water, no cell phones, no anything. Uh, 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 when they go hunting, they have to hunt, let's say. They go with spears. In some kind of remote place, they've, let's say they've never heard about God. Okay, if two guys are, are, are hanging out together and they go hunting and then they come back and they, they, they put their spears here and they do the thing and one of the guys, sin gets in his heart and he's like, you know what, I like his spear more than mine. And so I'm going to take his spear and I'm going to hide it. I'm going to steal it. When he puts that spear away, it doesn't matter what, no lesson about God. In his heart, he has written, thou shalt not steal. You see? So there's something written on the heart of man. It's actually a gift from God. It's called the moral law. You see? 
This is one of the arguments for the existence of God is the fact that the moral law is written on the heart of man. You know? And so it's written on his heart. So he knows it was wrong. Now a lot of people come to God and they never enter into the tent. They understand about God. They know God. They even understand that God is love. But the way they relate to God is based on what's written on their heart. A lot of people on a daily basis, the thought of having a private time with God, here it is. A lot of people, the thought of having a private time with God where they lift their hands and worship him and, and, and minister to him and read the Bible and say, thank you, God, this is for me, and talk to him and, and expect him to talk back and to experience glory. A lot of people, they can't, they're like, I, I don't know what all that's about. I know about God. I know principles about God. I think it's good, you know, take children to church. It's good for them to learn religion. They have all of these things. But see... Those people who relate to God on the basis of rules and regulations, you, all it is is that the law is written on your heart. Now we're living in a day now where the devil is so on the loose that he's actually searing the conscience. So people's consciences, the devil is like, he's like putting an iron and making the hearts of mankind hard. The law is there, but he's just searing it. This is what's happening in our day. We have an invitation. Even though we know we break the law. All right, let's just, let's just, let's do a, a quick survey. How many break the law? Okay. All of us. No one is righteous. Not even one. But guess what? Let's go back to the first thing. He desires to tabernacle with his people. How many are thankful? He desires to share his glory. So look, so look, and I got to close. I want to I wanna sing this song she's playing. So watch this. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of failure, regardless of pressure, regardless of, of problems, Marital problems, problems with our children, physical problems, all of those things. The, the, the devil would say, well, you earned this, you deserve this, this happened to you. And the law written on your heart says, "Don't you can't go to God, you hypocrite. Look at all the stuff you did. And you're like, stop. He wants a tabernacle with me right now. He wants a tabernacle with me. I'm going in. You know why? Because what's waiting for me is grace and truth. Okay, now I need to say this and then we're going to close. Very important. Warren Wisby said this. Okay, he said, grace without truth would be deceitful and truth without grace would be condemning. When you want the grace of God, you can't ignore the truth. You see? Some people say, well, God doesn't punish anyone. He loves everyone. <laughs> That's not the truth. He's a holy God. That's only half the truth. You see, God loves us. He loves the whole world. You see, 
And he, he releases his grace so that we could receive it. But not everyone receives his grace. You see, the Lord wants to share his fullness with us. Even today, right now. What is your need today? Because out of his fullness, he has the answer. Is your heart broken today? There's fullness. Is it empty today? There's fullness. Are you depressed today? There's fullness. Is your body hurting? Do you realize that in Isaiah 53 it says, by his stripes we are healed. There's fullness. You see? Do you need a, the solution to a problem? There's fullness. There's grace upon grace. Lord, teach us to tabernacle with you. Hear the words to this song. Holy, Holy Spirit, have your way. Work in me today. Holy Spirit, have your way. Let your power come and change me. We wouldn't, if we didn't need changing, we wouldn't go to him. But see, the law tells you you need changing, and what the law should do is make you run to grace. Should make us run to grace. How does it happen? We, we say, God, I want to tabernacle with you. Let's lift our hands to him. Lord, all day we want to tabernacle with you today, oh God. Hallelujah. When we leave, we want to tabernacle in the car, oh God. We want to tabernacle in the living room, oh God. Lord, we want to tabernacle with you, oh God. At work, oh God, wherever we go, you are with us. Bless your people now. We thank you. Thank you for this sweet reminder that your desire is to be with us. And Lord, we respond and say our desire is to be with you, God. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to have, oh God. This is, oh God, the kind of lighthouse that this city needs all over the city. We pray for churches all over Chicago, God. Make them, oh God, your dwelling place. Make them the dwelling place of your glory, we pray, oh God. Rush in right now, oh God. Rush into a Presbyterian church. Rush into a Methodist church, oh God. Rush into churches in the suburbs, on the south side, on the west side. Rush in. Rush in with your glory, we pray, oh God. Break us, oh God. God, we need to be a broken people, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise, oh God. We offer our hearts to you, God. We ask you to work, work in your people, work in our children, oh God. Work in this church, work in us as leaders, oh God. Father, we are desperate, we are desperate for you to do something, oh God. God, we are longing to feel and experience a visitation of your kingdom on the earth, oh God.
God, and it all begins as you work on our hearts. We receive your word. And Lord, even though we, we are released from this place, God, don't release us from your presence, I pray, oh God. Make this a different kind of day, Lord. A day that we tabernacle with you, Lord. Bless us. Bless us to stay in your presence. Watch over, protect, care. Thank you for this day, Lord. As your people go out, let the communion continue. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, hallelujah. God bless you.